0: And God, how we long for that day when we stand with you in glory. God, it's a day that's coming. Soon, you tell us. As we anticipate that day, Lord, we we as well put ourselves to the task which you've given to us. As the church arises, steps into the battle that you've placed before us. Oh God, find us faithful. As we turn to your word now, Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to you. We ask that you'd clear the clutter from our hearts, Lord, that we'd be prepared to hear what you have to speak into each of our lives. As our children go off, to those who've prepared for them, thank you, God. Thank you for those who have loved our children, who have put themselves to the task of preparing the lesson that will help them grow in the knowledge and the and the awareness of your love for them. We thank you for them, and as our children learn, Lord, that they will know you as their Savior at a young age. So we give you this time, God, grateful to be in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Children, I release you through grade four, classes that are prepared for you. I'd invite you to turn into your copy of God's Word, or the one in front of you, or on your phone to James chapter 2, James chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 14 through 26 today. Thank you, Jim, for reading those for us, and we're looking at a living faith, a living faith, and... Uh, If you've been part of Calvary for a while, you know that we have a verse of the year. Pastor Doug brought this to us probably 10, 12 years ago. We've been doing this every year. And last week, we looked at our verse for last year. But I just wanted to remind you of the last couple of years and the journey that we've been on here in our verses of the year. And two years ago, we looked at Psalm chapter 96 and looked at what does it mean for our stories to declare his glory? And we began to look at what if the circumstances in our lives were not so much how do we get through them as much as how can we have them radiate the love of Christ as we go through them? And we began to look at that in in 2016 and then last year we took up this language of blessing. What would it be if our language changed? And we looked at that last week so that the, the thoughts of our of our the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in the sight of God. And we looked at that last week. And, and so this year, our verse for the year, you'll find a card in your bulletin. It's up on the screen. Maybe you could read it with me. It comes from James chapter 2, verse 14 and 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead." So isn't that an encouraging couple of verses for us to have this year? but I believe it is and I'm so excited to be able to open this passage for you today because these verses contain such a great truth and and James is a no-nonsense writer and we'll look at that a little bit but as he steps here that faith without deeds is dead and the implication there is that the 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 opposite is true that true living faith has great life and that's what our picture illustrates for us on the verse card that A true life-giving faith, if we have it, will naturally reveal itself in our actions. And as it reveals itself, it will cry out to a world that's in desperate and hopeless situations the truth of the fact that faith in God brings hope into your life. Amen? And so as we look at this this year, we've gone through how can our circumstances declare his glory, how can I begin to speak blessing, now how can I begin to have my blessing, my blessings actually become actions in the lives of others. So our verses in James chapter 2, first, first John chapter 5, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So as we look at that, and, and we think of that flower trying to grow out of that desolate desert, the victory that it has to grow is the faith as we look at this. So true life-saving faith has no choice but to reveal itself in action. The passage that we're looking at today, James chapter 2, verses 14-26, through 26, is one of the most controversial passages in Scripture. And, and so as we look at it, we'll see that there's some places in there where it's how do we make sense out of this because all that we've been taught as evangelicals is that faith is what justifies us. Faith is what gives us a right standing before God. But at, at first glance, as we look at this passage, it seems to indicate that it's works that does this. And so this passage has caused some angst for people through the ages. I'm sure it will cause none for us today, though. So as we look at this, Because I believe that at the end of the day, when we see this passage, what we see James saying is that true life-saving faith has no choice but to reveal itself in action. If you have a genuine, true, life-saving faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to show. It has to. You would not be able to contain it, okay? That's what James is trying to tell us. So we're going to look at the different kinds of faith that James talks about here. And the first one that he looks like is faith without action is a dead faith. So the first faith is a dead faith. And as we go through these faiths, I would encourage you to ask yourself if you can find a place where you're able to identify your faith. And I know that I might be meddling, and I'm comfortable with that. I hope you're not. As we look at these different types of faith, and I really feel like I would like every person here to be able to leave today saying, I know, I know that I have a life-changing, life-giving faith in Jesus Christ. The first faith is a dead faith. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith and has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Can this kind of faith save that person? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. A dead faith. Mark talks about the parable of the soils. And in the parable of the soils, three of the soils that are identified, I believe, correlate to the different types of faith that James is talking about here. The first soil that that I want to talk about that Mark used was the the soil alongside the road. His first soil was the soil on the road. That's a hardened heart, an exposed heart. But the second soil is this unfocused heart. And in the parable of the soils, Mark talks about how the seed gets scattered alongside the road, and, and very quickly, very quickly, um, the, 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 the seed comes to fruition, and, and a plant grows, but, but pretty soon it dies out because the heart is unfocused, I believe that's the kind of heart we're talking about here. There's this faith that's like, ooh, God, yeah, that's great. I love God. Rub the, rub the magic, magic lamp and get him to do something for me. That, that type of God's in it for me type, type mentality. And, and I'd love to have a God like that, but, but pretty soon uh, there's all sorts of other things to think about and I can find my satisfaction in other places. And so as soon as, as, soon as God expects something from me, I pretty quickly move away. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7 when he says, "'Not everyone who says to me, "'Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven,' but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, as James is setting the stage here, and, and as he talks about a dead faith, and, and we can begin to say, well, wait a minute. What are you, what are you talking about, James? We can look at Jesus, and, and he will help to bring clarity to this. And, and Jesus as well says that not everybody who claims the name of Jesus as Lord has really got a genuine faith. Apparently, According to this text, there'll be a day when some people come up to Jesus and they're going to think they're going into heaven because they've been telling his name out loud, but they've never come to know him. Their faith has been a dead faith. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, John says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them... How can the love of God be in that person? See, James comes as a bullet. You know, he, he just comes. He's got all these one-liners. And, and if you've read the letter, you know how exciting it is to read James. And and he gives such great illustrations. And you get visuals that, that help you to apply things to your life. And But John, as he looks at this, he looks at the love of God. And he sees the love of God. And he says, if you genuinely say you love God but you don't love other people how can the love of God be in you? You're actually a liar. So even John talks about the fact that if you claim to love God, your love needs to show itself in the way that you love others. James uses the illustration, a brother or sister without clothes and daily food, and you come up to them and say, go in peace, be well, stop being hungry, and you walk away. Have you helped that person at all? Thank you. Okay. (laughs) I thought I'd wait for interaction this time. We haven't, right? And it's kind of like James is saying, do you get it? If you say you have faith, but you're not helping someone, that faith isn't of help at all. It's not helping anyone, and you need to realize that that faith is dead. Now, understand, it's faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what's dead. Faith by itself. So, in and of itself, faith is not sufficient. You're like, well, this is where the angst comes in. Because the verse that we use is, what is by... By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one has to boast. So, so right off the bat, it appears that James intention here with what the rest of Scripture teaches. What good does my faith do? What, what good does my faith do? Is it only in my head, and will I enter the kingdom of God? Do I have a dead faith? Is it a faith that isn't looking for how it can help others? The second type of faith is a useless faith, and James says, faith without a demonstration of good deeds is a useless faith. Verse 18, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God, good. Even demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Faith without deeds is useless. This is a, a second type of faith. And in our parable of the soils, this is the one that, that the, the seed is planted and, and pretty soon the weeds come up and overwhelm it. It's the selfish heart. This is the the heart that is quite satisfied with all the things it has on its own and, and sees Jesus, that Jesus thing over there, and says, well, boy, I'd like to add that, and I think that would benefit me really well. And so the Jesus piece comes in and just gets added to everything else. See, it's a selfish heart that can't accept true faith. James is the earliest letter written in the New Testament, by all we know, probably written between 45 and 49 AD, written by James, the brother of, half brother of Jesus, more than likely. And so, just 12 or 15 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, this letter is written. And it's written, we're told in the first verse, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, was the one of the heads of the church in Jerusalem. And so at this point in time, what had happened is Stephen had been martyred. And when Stephen was martyred, the church was scattered through the Roman Empire. The Diaspora is what that's called, and they were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And so this scattered among the nations is James' way of writing to the church that had been scattered. And as he writes this, he's writing to a Jewish audience because, as we'll look at as we start studying the book of Acts, the birth of the church is, is a Jewish church. It was Jewish, uh, Jewish people who began the church. And so he's writing to Jewish people, and so he says to them, you believe that there is one God that's good. And we understand and know that the Shema for the Israel." nation, nation of Israel, the Jewish people is so important. The thing that sets the nation of Israel apart is monotheism, believing that there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so as we look at that and we see that that they believe there's one God, James says that's good for you, but even the demons believe that. You're like, well, that's probably not a convincing argument then, right? Because we understand and know that demons don't have a saving faith. Demons, you see, are, are angels who were in heaven and rebelled with Satan against God and were cast out of heaven. And so we understand and know that demons believe in in God. They have seen God. And we talked about that as we went through Mark. They have been in heaven. They've seen God. They've been in the throne room. They've seen the Son of God. They've seen the Spirit. They've been there. They understand. They believe. They know that Jesus is who He says He is. (laughs) As we looked at the book of Mark, we look three different places. In Mark chapter 1, where the demons recognized that Jesus was the Holy One of God. In Mark chapter 4, where, where they recognized he was the Son of God. In Mark chapter 5, when Legion recognized that Jesus was the Son of the Most High God. The demons believe and they shudder, but it doesn't lead them to obey. Demons are not led to obedience because of their knowledge of who God is. The only time that demons obey is when Jesus steps in and gives the direct command and they have no choice because he's sovereign over all. But there's not a natural obedience that flows from the heart of a demon. They shudder when they see God. He who has my commands and obeys them, He is the one who loves me." Jesus says, "The demons have a type of faith in that they believe in what they've seen, but it hasn't made a difference in their lives. Is my faith a useless faith? Does it move beyond a, a basic acknowledgement? See, an acknowledgement is an acceptance of the existence of God. I can acknowledge and accept the existence of God, but I don't need to move into inviting God to have a presence in my life that changes me. And I've met a lot of people who have an acknowledgement of God. They have an acceptance of His existence as they've defined it and as they'd like it to be. James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. It's almost as if how can I show you my faith if I'm not showing you any deeds? If I declare to you that I have something, I have $100,000... I have a new watch I'd like to sell you. You'd say, show me the watch, and I'd show you the watch, right? But yeah, show me your faith. What does your faith look like? How can I show you my faith if there are no actions? It's a useless faith because it's not playing itself out. But if I declare to you that I have faith and you see it in the way that I live my life, if my actions are portraying that, then my faith becomes evident, James is writing to a church that in some ways can seem to have had an advantage over us. It's only 12 years since Christ ascended. No doubt there are many people who were eyewitnesses to that event. No doubt there are people who saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. Can you imagine How much easier would it be for you to believe if Jesus walked down and sat in that chair right there? Would it be easier for you then? Would your faith be stronger? Faith, you see, is believing in what you don't see. Believing is seeing. So in some ways, I need to answer that question, no, that my faith in Christ is just as solid now as if I saw him walk down the aisle. If it's a true, living, saving faith. The third type of faith is this living, saving faith. And James says that faith with action is what it is that reveals that faith. And in our soils, this is the servant heart. This is the soil that's been prepared. It's the heart that's ready to serve. It's the heart that that trusts in Jesus and is then ready to serve based on what it's received. Verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith with action reveals a true, living, saving faith. Faith with action is what reveals a living faith. James uses a, a a very strong illustration here. Abraham. Abraham is a very strong illustration. And Paul uses the same illustration. And it's interesting that more than likely Galatians and 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 uh James were written about the same time. Galatians probably a little later than James. And and as we look at these two men as they as they're discovering and uncovering and and proclaiming the truth of what God has revealed to them through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, that both of them use this example of Abraham. Abraham, you'll remember, was a man, Abram, who was called from his country to come into Canaan, and he followed God and he obeyed God and he, and he followed him into this country and, and God took him and took him out and, and showed him the stars in the sky and said, Abram, I will make your descendants like the stars in the sky and all the nations will be blessed through you. And Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, Genesis 15, 6 tells us. And Paul says, see, faith is what saves you. It's not what you do, it's your faith that saves you. It's your faith that justifies you, justification. And that's what we're talking about in this passage is justification, credited righteousness. Righteousness being credited. Justification is a big word. What it basically means is this, is that my sin has been credited to Christ's account and Christ's righteousness has been credited to my account. And therefore, God is able to declare me not guilty. He's able to declare me righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's this this declaration of justification. And so Paul tells us that it's faith that brings that justification into our lives and James seems to be saying that it's what Abraham did because he goes on and he tells the the account in in Abraham's life, where Abraham had been walking with God, and, and God had given him a son, Isaac, and told him that Isaac, your son, is the one that this promise will be carried through. There will be many children born through Isaac, and, and as many as the stars, and he reaffirmed that covenant, and, and then he came to Abraham one day and said, Abraham, I want you to go up to Mount Moriah and make a sacrifice, and Abraham said, I would love to do that. I love nothing more than to sacrifice to you, God. And he said, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Wow. Think about that. We distance ourselves from this, right? We distance ourselves because this is an ancient text, and, and sometimes we, we convince ourselves that these are stories, but they're not. It's a man just like you, just like me. A man being told by God to sacrifice his son on the altar. And we need to understand that was happening in those days. It wasn't a request that wasn't going around in the country. People sacrifice their children all the time. As a sidebar, I would suggest we do the same thing now differently. And so Abraham takes Isaac, and they begin their way up the mountain. And Isaac says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide the sacrifice. And we know the account where Abraham takes and builds the altar, places Isaac on the altar, and raises the knife, and God says, Wait. Wait. And James tells us that that was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And what we need to understand is there's two types of justification that are being talked about here. All right, the first is the credit of of um, Christ's righteousness to us, that, that initial act of justification, the declaration of righteousness. But then there's this ultimate justification as well, this final justification, because God tells us throughout His Word, be holy because I am holy. You have been declared righteous. You have been declared holy. Act like it. Begin to do the things that I have told you to do. Show it in the way that you live your life. And so what that does is that the actions that Abraham did justified his faith. Revealed his faith as genuine. Declared his faith genuine. Declared him righteous. Faith and works working together. Because a true, living, saving faith has no choice but to reveal itself in obedience to God. It has no choice but to reveal itself in doing the will of God, in living in obedience. Useless faith doesn't obey. Dead faith doesn't obey. But a living faith has no choice but to obey. And when God says go, a person with living faith goes and sacrifices their son if that's what he asks. Rahab was considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging. She believed. The people at that time were trembling and when they came to Jericho, arguably the oldest city in the, in the world. And, and she had the faith and hid the spies. So what she did proved her faith. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. John says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions, with truth. There's this, this idea that our faith must play itself out in actions and truth. And it comes from a heart of love. See, God's heart is a heart of love. Jesus came to be a visible representation of the thoughts of God. He came to rescue us in this world, but he came to make God known as well, and he was focused on his mission, and his mission was go to the cross, but his mission was also to bring justice. You can't read scriptures. You can't read the Hebrew scriptures or the New Testament without having a, a keen understanding of, heart, of God's heart for justice, for wrongs to be made Right? And he calls his nation of Israel to be the agent of that in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. And he calls his church to be that agent in the New Testament. To join with him in making things right wherever we're able to. That's the action that our faith has to take out. Paul in Galatians says the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. This context of this in Galatians chapter 5, he's saying circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter. He's talking about the fact that Jew or Gentile it doesn't matter. What matters is the faith that you have in God expressing itself in love, revealing itself, because genuine faith you see must reveal itself. In love, in obedience, in love to God first, but then a love for God that flows to everyone we come into contact with. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, says examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. You need to test yourselves to see if you have this genuine life-saving faith. Warren Wiersbe comes up with nine different ways that you can use to test yourself in this and I thought they were so good I'd love to share them with you. First, have you realized that you were a sinner, and that you were alienated from God? Have you realized that? Have you realized that your sin have earned you the wrath of God which turns his face from you? Do you grieve over your sins? Not do you grieve that you get caught, not, not that you grieve that it didn't turn out the way you wanted, not that, no, do you grieve over your sins? Are your sins grievous to you? Because you realize that ultimately every one of your sins finds its way onto the body of Christ on the cross. Do you realize that you can't save yourself? There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing within you that is able to save yourself. It all depends on Jesus. Have you turned from sin? Are you finding yourself turning from sin? Do you find yourself fighting the same battle over and over and over again? And you just keep giving in to the same sin over and over? Or have you turned from those sins? Do you live with Christ? Do you... Do you have Christ in your life? Do you live with him? Do you realize that when you're going somewhere, Jesus is going with you? And do you realize, I'm not taking Jesus there? And does that stop you from going places you would have gone? And does it give you the courage to go where he longs for you to go? See, when I walk with Jesus, when I realize I'm living with Jesus, that comes from a true living faith. Am I different? Are my thoughts different? When I see things, do I things that used to make me angry, do they not make me angry anymore? Do I not hold on to bitterness? Do I not harbor grudges? Am I am I different than I used to be? Do I share Christ? Am I am, am I sharing Christ in any way in my life? Because listen, if if you've come to a point where you realized that you were absolutely destined for an eternity in hell apart from Christ, you're gonna be like, oh my goodness, I'm saved. I can't wait to tell other people about this. Do I love the church? Do I do I love the church? Because I can't say that I love Christ and don't love the church because the church is his body. It's his, it's his bride. I've shared with you before, I love to stand here doing weddings and I had one last Saturday and, and as the bride came out, the groom, I, I had to hold him up. He was—he was just. His knees got weak. She was gorgeous, and he was just like his mouth dropped open, <laughs> he started to cry. It was amazing, and I looked, and I—I I got just as excited as he was. You know, I didn't say, man, you could have done better. You know, I mean, it's like—it's a bride. See, if you've got a life-saving faith, man, you love the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ is right here, warts and all. But this is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's the way that he's accomplishing his purposes in the world through us. And if you have a genuine life-saving faith, you love the church. If you have a genuine life-saving faith, you're ready for heaven. You're ready for heaven. Oh yeah! Even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. But the other side of that coin is: you're ready for heaven, but you're excited about doing everything you can here until He calls you home. Because you realize that you have you have a role to play. So test yourselves. Examine yourselves. How did you do on that list? Are you in the faith? Do you have a genuine, true, life-giving faith? If you do, then 1 John 5, 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So it's this idea, do you have life? If you've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit ah, has breathed life into you. You've been regenerated. You are, you are reborn, and you are filled with life, and you are filled with that life so that you can take that life into the world. Just like that flower, God places his light on you and says, take this light into the world, a world that's desolate and hopeless. Take hope the hope of your salvation. We've individualized salvation in the evangelical church. We've individualized it. And there's, there's an importance with that. There's an importance with the fact that each one of you needs to come to a place where you know that Jesus is your Savior. But he does not save you to be an individual. He saves you to be part of the whole of what he's doing. You've been saved to be sent. You've been saved to be a part of his body. You've been saved to shine the light. And the life is given to you so that you can take the message of life into the world. So is my my faith a life, a living, saving faith? And do my actions reveal my faith? Is my faith a life-changing faith? is yours as you ask yourself that question. So what? What steps do I need to take to have my faith reveal itself in action? I'm so excited about stepping into the book of Acts with you as we look at a church together as a church at a church. And we begin to determine if we truly believed what they believe. If we truly believed the things that they believed, what could God do through us? They were spurred on to action. They genuinely believed that Jesus was the Son of God who came to rescue the people of a world. And they believed that they were trusted with that message. And if they didn't share it, no one would know. And they changed the world. God changed the world through them. But they were willing participants. What steps do we need to take? And listen, how do we do this if each of us doesn't do it? And how can we spur one another on? How can we encourage one another toward love and good deeds, as the author of Hebrews says? It's easy to get discouraged when you watch the news, isn't it? It seems like nobody seems to care about people anymore. Everybody's gotten so selfish, so self-centered, so focused on all these things. It doesn't seem like, like governments are interested in helping people. It doesn't seem, it just doesn't seem like it. God cares about people. and he expects us to care about people. And he expects us to see people who are without clothes and he expects us to get them clothes. He expects us to see people without food and he expects us to get them food. He expects us to see people who don't know him and he expects us to introduce them to him The apathy of the American church is hindering the work of the Lord. The culture has influenced the church enough. Let's say when. Let's start influencing the culture. Let's put our faith into action. Find ways where we can reach into a community. We've been planted here, and so much of our community is dead, but we have the life. We can be a blessing in the lives of the people we come into contact with. Gabe and the team are coming up. We're singing an old song to close our service. It's a powerful song. The words are so strong. It's not just speaking blessing, but becoming a blessing. God, search our hearts. You know each one of us. Is there anyone in this room, Lord, who thinks they have a living faith, but it's not? Pierce them. God, draw them to yourself right now, please, Lord. For those of us who have a living faith, search us, Lord our apathy and complacency, our our self-centeredness? How have we been focusing on ourselves instead of the things that you have for us? Waken in us, Lord. Passion for action. I pray this in your name. Amen.